search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way everlasting. So if you know anything, Psalm 139 is one of the most popular psalms in all of scripture. This, I mean, we could literally spend weeks going through this. A few weeks ago, if you remember back, we were uh, talking about confidence and we referenced Psalm 139 and spent some time there. And tonight we're spending time specifically in these two verses. But I wanted to give you a little bit of background information to help us better understand what's going on here. So this is a psalm that is written by David, okay? So this, David was described in scripture as a man after God's own heart. He was a ruler, a soldier, uh, a king, and uh, he had some ups, he had some downs as well. But this is his writing. And what's important about Psalm 139 and what makes it so really incredible is this, is that within the first 16 verses of Psalm 139, we see three key characteristics about God. And I would encourage you, if you're taking notes, write these down because these three things are things that should encourage us, should challenge us, and should uh, be things that we remember about God as we seek to pursue him and to follow him. And the first thing that David covers in Psalm 139, so just to be clear with y'all, we're gonna take like the 30,000 foot view and then we're gonna drill down in just a few minutes. But let me give you some background information before we start to get in 23 and 24 again. So the first characteristic that we see in Psalm 139 is this, is we see the omniscient nature of God, the omniscient nature of God, meaning that God is all-knowing. God is all-knowing. In the Psalm, David actually describes it, that God actually knows when you sit down, when you rise up, he knows how many days are formed for you in your life. That's what God knows and understands. He knows you intimately the way that nobody else does. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. Not only knows you, knows every person in here, but knows all about the world and creation, and that is God. He is omniscient. The second thing we see is that God is omnipresent, okay? So God is omniscient, but he's also omnipresent. And in the Psalm, David describes that God is both present in the heavens and in the depths, that he's present in the light and the darkness. He is the light, right? And so you can't even hide from him in the darkness. That, uh, you know, elsewhere in the book of Hebrews, I love the way it describes it, is that none of us can hide from God. No creature is hidden from God's sight right? He sees all things. He is omnipresent. He's both ruling and reigning in heaven, but here with us as well. And what else does scripture say? That where two or three are gathered, there he is also. So God is with us. He's present tonight as we gather. That's one of the reasons why like we encourage you to be in community, to attend a service, to come and hear God's word preached, to worship together, because God is here. He's with us. God is omnipresent. And then the third characteristic that we see that might not be quite as obvious is that God is omnipotent. God is omnipotent, meaning God is what? He is all-powerful. How do we know that God is all-powerful? Because we actually referenced this a few weeks ago in our message. God is the one who knitted us together in our mother's womb. He knew us when we, were, when we hadn't even been born yet, as we were being made and created. He knew us, right? God is the only one who has the power to create. Think about it, everything, and and I I referenced a C.S. Lewis quote a few weeks ago, everything else in this world has just been built from what God has created. It's God who is the creator and who is all powerful. And so David is setting this up. 
So verses 23 and 24 become way more impactful and become way more relevant to our lives when we understand the character of God. So David lays this out. And then the psalm kind of takes a weird turn. And this is maybe one of, maybe, maybe weird is the wrong word, but it takes an unexpected turn, at least whenever uh, I, my reading of it. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's interesting. But what David does is he lays out what's called an imprecation, all right? An imprecation. That is a word to imprecate is not a, a word that we use a lot in our English language right now. But basically what he's doing, an imprecation, is calling a curse upon somebody. So let's, let's put it in like modern terms right now. If one of you all sold me a used car, okay, uh, and I bought like a 1997 Honda Civic from you or something like that, I feel like that's the used car that people buy. If I bought that from you and it had a major malfunction, error, uh, there, there was something in it that was not working right and you sold it to me and lied about it, my response might be, I hope you never have a car that runs well ever again in your life, right? That I, I would call that curse on you. I would hope that you lose money on future deals. That, that's like an, that's an imprecation. I'm calling a curse out. What does it mean, an imprecation in scripture? Or the way that you might hear this phrase sometimes is an imprecatory psalm, an imprecatory psalm. And we see this throughout the psalms. And what David is doing right here is David as a righteous man, a man after God, God's own heart, in response to the evil in his life or, or around him in the world and his enemies, he is calling on God's anger and his wrath, his judgment upon the evil that's around him. Why? Because God hates evil. God hates evil. Make no mistake about it. So David, uh, I'll go ahead and read it for you. It's verses 19 through 22, and this is how it reads. It's some strong language. He says, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Whew. It's like David, he's, he's worked up here but with just cause because he looks at the evil around him that's going on. Can you take a look at the evil that's on our world? One of the greatest lies that's out there is that like people are like, everything's good. We're all just good. We're all just living our own lives and on this path of goodness and everything's fine. Like we would have to be oblivious to the evil that is around us and God hates that evil. When sin entered the world, evil came with it, and that was never part of God's plan. But yet here it is, and it's present. God hates this evil. Now we know from verses like 2 Peter 3, 9 that it's God's desire that every single person would be saved. So God's desire in here is that every single one of you would have a relationship with him. That's his desire. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to be with you. But it's also very true, Hebrews 9, 27, we're all gonna die and after that comes judgment. It's a reality. Judgment is coming for all of us and the only way we can be right in God's sight is by having a relationship with God, by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the one who pays our sin debt for us. 
So God, like, that's what we have to understand when we look at this strong wording. In order to understand what David is saying, it's like, okay, God hates evil, and it's not his desire. And what's important to note is the psalmist, whenever there's an imprecatory psalm, they're never taking matters into their own hands, but they're taking it to God. And that's what we should do in response to evil as well, and evil that's around us. But it's so interesting that David kind of, you know, he starts with the character of God, but then we, we know from the character of God how holy and how good he is. And then David turns and he says, hey, I, I want this evil, I want you to destroy this evil that is present and around and these enemies of mine. But then what does David follow up with? This is the prayer that I believe will change your life. If you, my, my challenge for you is actually this, that over the next course of time, uh, the next seven days or so, you would begin to memorize this scripture and that you would pray this prayer over your own life. It's a prayer of humility. It's a prayer that can be kind of scary, but it's a prayer that's really important. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. What does it mean to like ask God because David opens up Psalm 139 and he says what? He says, God, you know my heart. But then he finishes and he says, God, search my heart. That's kind of confusing, right? Well, this is just an act of humility. What David is doing right here and what he's praying and what we should be praying in our lives is God, search me. You have access to every nook, corner, cranny. You have access to every part of my life. This is a prayer of humility. Search me, God. This would be like, uh, you know, if someone built a house for you. If somebody built a house for you and then they came back over to your house later as you're living in it and you invited them in to check it out, they already know where everything is, right? But you're inviting them into it. When we pray this, we are inviting God in an act of humility and saying, hey God, search me and know every part of my life. I don't want anything hidden from you. And the reality is, is God is omniscient. He already knows all of those pieces of us. We can't hide anything from him. And because he loves us, we don't have to hide anything from him. We can go to him and invite him in to search us. And one of the benefits of having a relationship with Jesus, when you repent of your sin or you turn from your sin and you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you give authority of your life over to Jesus, one of the things that happens is you receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a teacher, a guide, a counselor in your life. And it's the Holy Spirit, through the work of the Holy Spirit, that helps you to know things about you that you don't even know. That's one of my favorite parts about walking next to people who are walking with Christ, is to hear them tell stories of how God revealed something to them in their lives that they didn't know. If you pray and ask God to search you and to know your heart, he will do it. The reality is this is that God knows you better than you know you. Scripture makes that clear, that God, know, we see that from Psalm, earlier in Psalm 139, that God knows you better than you even know you. And when you invite him in to search your heart, he will do it. What's the second part of this Psalm say, or these verses say? Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Test me and know my anxious thoughts test me or try me or investigate my life and see the anxious thoughts that I have. Do any of y'all have anxious thoughts? 
Yeah, if we took hands, I already, thank you guys for showing your hand, brave, I love it. If we took a poll, we have anxieties, right? And anxious thoughts, I love like kind of a biblical definition of this, is that disquieting thoughts. Do you have thoughts that disrupt your peace? Do you have thoughts that disrupt your quiet, your calmness, your peace? What he's saying here is God test me and see my anxious thoughts. The only other place we see this Hebrew word in the Old Testament is in Psalm 94, 19. And it says, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. When anxiety, right, when those disquieting thoughts were great within me, it's the consolation of God that actually can return us to joy. That's the antidote for our anxieties. Now here's the thing, do you wanna be tested? Do you wanna be tested? Because some tests are encouraging and some tests can be painful. I think about it like this, you know, we just had this one sole purpose uh, race, 5K, 10K, that we put on as a church to raise money to put shoes on kids' feet in Title I schools, and we did this race this weekend. And what is a race? Like, when you go out and do this, it is a test of your cardiovascular endurance, your fitness level, right? Uh, Some people think that's a great test, and they enjoy that. And some people are like, that is a test I will never do. I'm gonna take a, uh, a did not attempt on that. But that's a test. And tests can be both good and bad, but they can be uh, painful and they can be revealing. And uh, you know, this is a psalm, what, what kind of led me to this? I wanna give you a little bit of insight into why I started thinking about this is, uh, I remember, this shows the power of community, so I think this is really important. Uh, David Chan, who was just up here emceeing, I remember one day he was like, yeah, I pray this prayer every day on my drive in uh, to work. And I'm like, man, I'm gonna start doing that. That's, that's a good idea. And I started to memorize this passage, and I started to pray this, and I don't think I was really prepared for God to actually test me, but he did. I remember it was Labor Day weekend, and I'm coming off that weekend, fun weekend with my family and everything, and that Tuesday morning, I woke up, and you know, when you miss a day of work or like you had that day off, I felt like even more pressure, like we've got young adults, I've got stuff get done. I remember I woke up at 4 a.m., and I did not have quiet thoughts. I woke up at like four in the morning and I just remember feeling stressed, feeling anxious, thinking about my to-do list, lacking faith in what I felt like God had called me to. And you know, sometimes you can just shake that moment off. Y'all been there? You've been stressed, but you move on to something else and you kind of shake it. But what I realized is, man, I'm kind of spiraling here. And so Tuesday led into Wednesday and Wednesday led into Thursday and I felt like there was just this weight over me of just anxiety. And I'm, I'm like mad about it. And I remember where I was, I was working out in my garage and I'm just thinking like, man, God, I'm physically tired, I'm mentally tired, and I had this thought. I thought this, God, I don't really wanna lean into you. I don't really want to have to like seek intimacy with you. I just wanna feel better. And it kind of clicked for me. It was like God right there was like, hey, that's your problem. That is your problem. You don't actually truly want intimacy with me. You don't truly want to know me better. What you want is you wanna be in control. You wanna do things on your own. That's why you're stressed. That's why you're worried. That's why you're nervous. That's why you're anxious because you're trying to do everything on your own and you don't really want me. You just want me to help you feel better. And I was like, oh man, okay. That test revealed something in me that was not from God. And I realized I have a control issue. 
I'm trying to do things on my own. And, and God was teaching me in that moment. The test wasn't necessarily fun. It was painful, but it was there. And even yesterday, I remember it was kind of, you know, I'm always a little bit, I want to get God's word right whenever I speak to people. I don't want to say something that's not true or incorrect. And so there's always a little bit of pressure with that. And that's a good thing. We want to get God's word right. But I remember I was getting kind of anxious about it last night. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to pray with my wife. And and I I got, I just got to go to you. I know I've learned the lesson. I've got to seek you. And I want that relationship with you. I want that intimacy with you. And as I began to pray, I started to think about, I was like, man, when was the last time I prayed out loud with my wife? And again, God, in testing me and that, that anxiety being there, those anxious thoughts, it was like revealing of where my heart posture was, where my priorities were. And since those things have gone on, it's been really cool, though, because as the test has come, my desire to just be in the word and to engage with scripture has increased. My desire to pray, my desire to talk to people about my walk with God has increased and it's in response to the testing and that can be a scary thing to pray. But I challenge you to pray and ask God, God, will you search my heart? Will you test me and know my anxious thoughts? Why do we do that? 24, it says, see if there is any offensive way in me to see if there's any offensive way in me. Now, here's the deal. Some of y'all are in here tonight and it's easy and it's obvious. You know what is offending God in your life and you've got things and you need to deal with them. You need to take them to the Lord and you need to give them to him. You need to repent and to turn from sin. You've got things in your life that you're just tolerating that don't need to be there and they're so obvious and you know it. But there's also oftentimes sin that lies under the surface and it sits there And we have got to ask God to reveal it and remove it from our lives. You know, one of the the ways that they purify gold, uh, one of the most ancient ways is they they take it and they put it in a crucible and they they heat it up. And as they heat it up, what happens is this this gold begins to melt into a liquid. I think, I'm listen, I don't really know what happens, but this is what I've read, okay? It heats up and then they move away the impurities, what's impure within the gold. And I think that sometimes what we need to ask God to do is like, hey, will you bring in the impurities? Will you bring that to me, the things that I don't even see that are wrong in my life? And will you make every part of my life obedient to you? That's pursuing holiness. That's sanctification. What sanctification is, is becoming more like Jesus, becoming more like Christ. We wanna continue to be sanctified and to become more like Christ in our lives. Are we asking God to remove those impurities? And I think about it like this. I had a friend in high school, his name was Chase, and I remember this was one of the craziest things I've ever witnessed in my life is he began to have this back pain. He played football, and so it was kind of started as what felt like a twinge, and it was like, okay, he's, you know, that's weird, uh, you know, and he's probably injured, didn't know how he heard it. And what happened is, over time, it kept getting worse, Actually, over a few days, it kept getting worse for Chase. And I remember it went from like just this irritation for him to next thing you know, uh, we had gym class together and he's laying on the ground just in pain, like can't stand it. And so finally he goes to the ER 
and they do uh, an MRI or, or something of that nature, and what they find is that he has a staph infection on his spine, and it was so close to killing him. They do emergency surgery immediately, like rush surgery, and he's in a wheelchair, and they didn't know if he would ever walk again, and then he goes to a walker, and he eventually regained his mobility, but it nearly killed him, that infection. It started out as just kind of like a little twinge, a little pain, but it could have killed him. And I think if we treat, you know, we wouldn't look at an infection like that and be like, no big deal. Like there's a reason they took emergency action because it matters. We have to treat sin in our life the same way. We can't just tolerate it and play around with it. We have to ask God to kill it and destroy it in our lives before it destroys us. And at this point in my life, I've been around a lot of people who sat in these pews that you're sitting in, or I've been and I've seen them from a distance and they've been in Christian circles and they've been in small groups and even some of them have led others spiritually. And what I've seen is then I look at their life now and they are far from God. Not just backslidden, like they are willfully living against God. And I think that that happens in people's lives when we lack the humility to pray a prayer like this. And if we think we're just good and we've got it figured out and everything's fine, I've got a relationship with Jesus and I'm just gonna keep kind of doing my thing over here and just hope that it's all gonna be okay. We have to take our sin seriously. And I think that David understood that. David, a man who failed. David, a man who succeeded. David, a man who was after God's own heart. This is what he prayed. And we should pray the same things as well. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way everlasting. This is why we pray a prayer like this in our lives. We pray a prayer like this in our lives because we want God to lead us in the way everlasting. The purpose of your life is to bring God glory and honor in the way you live and also to worship him and to praise him. That's the ultimate goal. And so if that's our goal in life, is to honor God, to bring him glory, to praise him, to live a life that is for him, then we have to pray these types of things. We have to ask God to search us. We have to invite him in to know our heart, to test us and to know our anxious thoughts. Why? So that he can lead us in the way that is everlasting. This is a perspective shift. This is, this is countercultural. You know, and, and, and I can't help but think as we're all young adults, it feels uh, like, man, this, this life thing, it's just gonna last forever. But what does scripture tell us? That life is but a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. So the moment to start taking this seriously is not two weeks from now, next semester, when you graduate, when you get a career, when you've got a family. It's never too late to take it seriously, but man, the time to start taking it seriously is right now. There's no time like the present to take seriously what God's word has to say and then to invite him in to know you, a God who loves you, who created you, who cares for you, to invite him in and to ask him to reveal the things in your life that aren't right. And he will do that. 
And he will bring them to you. And that's what's gonna lead you in the way everlasting. So not only is our purpose to live in a way that honors and glorifies God and to praise him, but also if you want to have the best life while you're here on earth in this glimpse of a life that goes by in the blink of an eye, if you wanna be the most effective for the kingdom of God, most effective in your sphere of influence, if you wanna have the most joy, the most peace, if you wanna walk by the Spirit and have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, the key to that is setting your mind on the things of God. If that's what, that is what we are after in our lives, is what is everlasting, that's unending. There's a whole lot of things you could, goals you could have and things that you could think about, but that is the way that is everlasting. And so uh, I wanna tell a story kind of in closing tonight, and, and you've heard me talk about this a lot, is talking about a relationship with God. And we mention this every week, we always talk about it, we always talk about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, that you are a sinful person, right? Every single one of us in here is a sinner, and we are in need of a savior. We are all sinful people. But God is perfect, he's holy, and he's good. So we as sinful people, we cannot associate with a God who is perfect and holy and good. But God knew that, and his plan since the beginning of time was that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. That that is what bridges the gap. When we accept Jesus and make him Lord of our life, give our authority, it's not our own decisions, it's not our own thoughts, it's we're gonna do what God's word says, we're giving the authority to him, we can have a relationship with him. Scripture tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is the question I want to ask you as, I about, as I'm about to tell this story, is how confident are you that you're going to spend, right, lead me in the way everlasting? Did you know that we will all be eternal beings, either united with God in heaven in a place where there's no weeping, no hurting, or no pain, or we will be eternally separated from a God who loves us in hell for all of time? There is an eternity that lays in the balance here. And if we have a relationship with God, we're gonna spend an eternity with him in heaven. And my question for you tonight is how sure are you of that? On a scale of one to 10, are you at a 10? On, uh, if you did percentages, are you at 100%? Or are you not all the way there? The only place you can be is either a 10 or a zero. You're either 100% confident in that or you don't have a relationship with God and you have 0% relationship with God. There is no in between. But the good news is, is scripture tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And when that happens, when we accept Jesus, we are adopted into the family of God. Understand that, that as we gather tonight as believers, we are a family of God. We are sons and daughters of the one true living God adopted into his family. And there's a story that has impacted my family lately that I've learned, and, and I've known this story for a little bit, but as I start to get the details, I really started to have an appreciation for what it means to be adopted into the family of God. And so um, they're going to put a picture on the screen, and this picture uh, is of my grandfather, Warren Counts. I never met him. 
He passed away before I was born, but this is my dad's dad, Warren Counts. And I didn't know the whole story until recently, but that wasn't always his name. His name was actually Isaiah Anson Cole, and he was born in 1915 in New York City. Now, if you could imagine what's going on in New York City at this time, Ellis Island, immigrants are flooding into the United States, seeking a better life, seeking better opportunity, and what happened is there was a population explosion in New York City at this time. The population skyrocketed. There wasn't enough housing, and what that led to was a lot of children and a lot of kids were put out on the streets because their families couldn't provide for them or chose not to provide for them. And so at three years old, Isaiah Anson Cole, my grandfather, at three years old, I have a three-year-old son, and I think that that's what this story has made it more impactful for me, was put out on the streets, him and his sisters, who were a little bit older than him. His mom put him out on the streets, his dad boarded a ship and they never saw him again. No one knows what happened to him. And so at a th- as three-year-old, He's without parents, he's an orphan. And at the age of seven, he begins to board what is called the orphan train. And so he boards this orphan train, or the orphan train uh, was a movement where the Children's Aid Society came alongside and they took orphans who were in New York City and shipped them to other places in rural communities in hopes that they would have a better life, in hopes that they could find a family who would help to educate them and care for them and provide for them. And so at seven years old, Isaiah Anson Cole got on this train and one stop after another, you get out onto a platform People come, they inspect your teeth as a kid who's riding on this orphan train. They wanna see how healthy you are. They wanna see what you look like. And if you don't get chosen, you get back on the train and you move to the next spot. And it wasn't until my grandpa got to Mount Vernon, Missouri, where he finally found a family who wanted him. And Vasta and Walter Counts adopted Isaiah Anson Cole and his name became Warren Counts then. And he grew up and he had a family and he maintained a relationship with his parents who adopted him and he raised my dad and that's part of my family tree. I am a Counts because Vasta and Walter looked at someone and they adopted him. They said, we want you, we want a relationship with you. They chose him. They chose him, but he had to say yes. His name became Warren Counts because he said yes to being chosen. And there is a God in heaven who looks at you. He loved you, he created you, he knitted you together in his mother's womb, and he chose you and he says, I want to adopt you and I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. And all you have to do is say yes to him. And when you say yes to him, what happens is this beautiful thing, not by your own work, not by your own doing, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, you have a relationship and are restored in community, in family with God who created you and loves you. And you don't have to have doubt, you don't have to have worry if you've been good enough or if you've tried hard enough or if you've went to church enough or if you've read your Bible enough, you know that because of what Jesus did on the cross, your sin has been paid for and you are a member of the family of God. 
And it starts by saying yes to him. If you're in here tonight, you don't have to be 90% sure because 90% is 0%. You can be certain that you will have an eternity to spend with God in heaven, no weeping, no hurting, and no pain.